0: Remember the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 that made you wish that phone books were still a thing? Now even baby formulas in short supply. What's next? Trash bags? Toothpaste? Laundry detergent? We have all these items and more at pre-pandemic pricing. Visit Envision.supply, where every purchase supports those who are blind and visually impaired through employment and rehabilitative services, wholesale with a heart. That's us, Envision.supply Today, I am joined by accomplished film personality, Tyler Foley. Tyler has been in film since the age of six after he lost his father, so we'll talk about that. Tyler has played in, in movies like Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. And he wants to help others be able to get on stage and confidently tell their story. So we're going to be talking to him about his interesting career. So, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: No, it's my my pleasure to be here, Curtis. And thank you for having me on the show. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody
0: a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I mean, beyond everything that you already introduced, I'm a father, a husband, a son, performer, author of the best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. I'm a seeker of warm beaches, a lover of fine chocolate, and uh, really just happy anytime I get to be on stage.
0: Well, let's talk about how you got in the film. I know you've been doing it since the age six, so just kind of tell us about that.
1: Yeah, and, and as you had alluded to, it kind of was a result of, of my father passing away. Uh, I had been in a Christmas play just before he passed away Uh, so you know Christmas pageants for your elementary school are usually in December my father passed away February and um, I had taken a real shine to it like I really really enjoyed being on stage and then when my father passed I, I was you know very young at six years old and didn't really outwardly grieve his passing, and I think out of uh, maybe a little bit of concern about that, or or looking for an outlet for me, or needing something for Tyler to do, because my mom ended up having to rear my sister and I uh, all by herself. And you know, I think one of the nice things about theater is it happens after school, and it was a thing for me to do that kind of got me out of the house and and really out of her hair and generated some income at the same time. So it was a win-win for all of us. My, my mom got me into theater and it was a real gift in my life to be around, uh, very creative people uh, on a constant basis to be exposed to different thinking, different works, to be able to explore who I was emotionally and physically, uh, Developmentally, even right down to the fact that when I was working, I, you know, one part of the union contract is that you have to be provided a tutelage when you're, you know, particularly if you're under twelve. And uh, so I got one-on-one tutelage through, you know, very developmental years going through school, which helped me scholastically advance. I, I, the first time I actually. Openly mourned my father's passing. The first time it really struck me that my father would never be back in my life physically uh, was in the sixth grade, 12 years old, because I'd had this opportunity to grow scholastically and really learn and have one-on-one dedicated mentoring. I, I ended up winning the top student of the school award when I commenced out of my elementary school and with it came a little certificate and a plaque and a bursary for, I think it was like 200 bucks or something like that. And I remember walking from the back of the auditorium to the front of the stage uh, and walking past my mom and beside her was an empty seat and the auditorium was packed, right? Because it's like a school gymnasium and it was final assembly of the year. So everybody's parents were there and teachers were there, faculty and, and all the students. And I remember walking past and the chair was empty. And I remember thinking, Hmm, my dad should be sitting there. And then the whole wave of emotion kind of flooded over me and, and I just started crying, breaking down because in that instant, everything kind of flash forwarded for me. It was like, my father isn't going to be here to see me get this award. My father will never see any of my accomplishments. He's never going to see me graduate. He's never going to see me graduate high school, university. He won't see me get married. He'll never meet me, my wife, my his grandchildren, my children. He'll never see those things. He'll never see my sister's kids or any of her accomplishments. And all of that stuff just kind of washed over me really quickly. And, and so everybody thought I was crying because I was happy. And I was crying because it was my first moment of realization that my father was never going to be back. And then as I walked back, another thought kind of washed over me. I'm like, well, Every other seat is taken. Why is that seat empty? And then in that moment, I kind of comfort, I found comfort in the thought that maybe my father was there, and maybe not physically, but in spirit, he was there that that seat was empty as a placeholder for him to be there and observe what I was going to do. And then it was tremendous comfort that my father would see all my accomplishments, he would be there. In fact, he'd be there in times where nobody else could. And that has been a sense of comfort for me going forward for the rest of my life. But I remember that moment very clearly, very distinctly feeling uh, utter shock and grief at the realization that he physically wouldn't be there. And then feeling this immense sense of gratitude and relief coming to the understanding that maybe he would be. And and all of that, I think, came from, you know, growth in theater. Like a lot a lot of what I owe, who I am as a person, as a human being, how I developed and the trajectory of my life is all all comes back to and is very much related to my experience from the theater.
0: Well, I'm sure he's definitely very proud of you and smiling down on you with all the things that you have accomplished. And speaking of those things, kind of briefly tell us about The roles you've played in the movies like Freddy versus Jason. (laughs) Kind of tell us about that and what that was like and how you got those.
1: Uh, Right place and right look. One of the things that I tell basically anybody who will listen is that, you know, talent doesn't get you a role in film or TV or theater. Talent gets you the audition and luck and timing and circumstance books you the role. You could be the world's greatest actor. There's in fact, there's like a list that if you ever ask, you know, um, I think of the most famous example probably would be uh, Back to the Future. And uh, what's his name? Holtz uh, was originally cast as Marty McFly before Fox took over and stuff like that where, you know, you can be an incredibly talented person but you just might not be the right fit for the cast or the role or or that particular production so talent has nothing to do with with booking the roles but i've had the joy and the privilege to do some really fun things you'd mentioned uh, freddie versus jason which is the one that almost everybody (laughs) brings up because it's the one that kind of pops off of the resume they're like oh freddie versus jason what'd you do on that and i played camp counselor number one i've made a, a great career of playing named and unnamed but numbered characters you know uh frat boy number one student number one counselor number one like who, whoever number one or number two or number three and uh, in this particular scenario it's right towards the end of the film i'm a blink and you miss it kind of thing uh, the lead actress has had to go into jason's nightmare to confront freddy and it's out crystal lake because that's you know where jason was traumatized and drowned and and so he's reliving that moment in his dream and the camp counselors are kind of ignoring all the kids down at the dock because they're too busy having sex up at the bit of cabin and and i'm one of those camp counselors and the, the lead actress comes up and she says aren't you going to help him and i say can't you see i'm busy and then she goes uh aren't you coming and then i say i'm trying to but this lady is <laughs> dead on her feet and then i morph into freddie krueger but it's, so it's it's just such a it's a, such a quick beat and but iconic iconic nightmare on elm street line and i got to meet robert eglin i got to see him get into his makeup like i got to see him go from robert to uh, to freddie and that was just cool. I got to be there when the prop master handed him the glove. Cause like there are only two people on set who get to touch that glove. It's the prop master and, and Robert, that's it. Then nobody else gets to touch it. And there it's in his contract. It's not allowed to let other people do it. Like you can be like, oh, and he'll show you like, he'll like rip, put it up but he you can't you're not allowed to touch it you're not allowed to be it so just to be to be in the presence of the glove you know that was especially as a kid who grew up in the 80s with nightmare on elm street the first horror movie i ever watched that i ever got to see my cousin pam she i had a sleepover at her house and she's like oh let's watch this and she we watched night of the evil yeah night night of the evil dead and uh, and then nightmare on elm street the original one and then the first movie that I saw with her in a theater was Elm Street 4. I think it's Dream Child. And I like, so Freddie has been an impactful character as far as my cinematic history goes. And so to be to be able to be in the presence of Robert Eglin was just phenomenal. And, and you know, to, just to get to work. And then you'd mentioned Door to Door. To this day, that's my favorite project that I've ever been in. Getting to work with Dame Helen Mirren, William H. Macy. Bill actually came into my trailer. And we jammed together. He was learning how to play guitar at the time. And his makeup going, he played a character named Bill Porter, who has cerebral palsy, a real life character. It's based on a real life true story about one of the uh, top ranked salesmen for the Watkins company who did door-to-door sales. And he did this despite the fact that he had cerebral palsy. So the prosthetic makeup that Bill had to go through each day, particularly too, because he aged. So it goes from when Bill Porter was like in his late 20s, right up to you know 60 or 70 years old so not only did bill have to get into makeup to prosthetic makeup to simulate the palsy but he also then had to age with it and uh, we were doing a diner scene that took place in the 50s so when he when the character would have been in his mid early 30s and and he had just finished filming that day in you know character makeup for the 60s and so we had to transition out of the makeup and then there was a lot of time setting up this diner scene and so he ended up coming into my trailer and he's like did you mind if I just hang out and play guitar with you I'm like do you mind if I drum along with you while you do it and so I had a drum kit that I was I just I always had it in my car because I was a drummer at the time I still am but I was I was gigging a little bit in Vancouver and so I had my drum kit in the back of the the card so we set up the kit in my trailer and I jammed along with uh William H. Macy and we played like, um oh, well, we did Ho- Hotel California. And I remember thinking how cool it was because he was able to pick through it. And I was on the kick drums, like, do, 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 do. And then he was playing the, the guitar stuff. So it was just, you know, there are things like that. Like, I don't really... It's not the roles that, that I think of, it's the experiences that kind of stand out in my mind. So something like that, getting to work with Dame Helen Mirren, the, when she won her golden globe that year for best supporting actress in door to door, this, the scene that they played um, for her acceptance was the scene between me, Bill and her in the, in the diner. So my, my phone blew up there. I saw you at the golden globe. So I was like, yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? And so it's things like that, right? Like they are all the experiences that make me smile, but the, my IMDB is, is incomplete. It's not even all the work that I've done because it doesn't include any of my theater, any of my commercial work. And it's still quite extensive. And, and it's just always fun to be able to get on set. Like even most recently, I got to do a job with um, uh, Shannon Elizabeth, which was really super fun because again, growing up in the eighties and nineties, you know, she's the American pie girl, right? And, uh, and I, I've actually, worked on set with her three times now but two of the times i didn't get to interact with her because i was just doing photo double or stunt work or stand-in work and so the first time was on scary movie and then the next show that i worked with her on was 13 ghosts and both times i was just a blink right? Like I I wasn't actually on camera with her. So this most recent project that I got to work with her, I actually got to like interact with her and have a day on set filming with Shannon Elizabeth. So again, that's one of those kind of neat full circle things where I got to, she kind of looked at me. She's like, do I know you? I'm like, no, not really. I, but if I look familiar, that is really cool. Think back 20 years and uh, you and I worked on set together. So that was, that was neat.
0: Well, let's talk about stage fright. Tell us where stage fright comes from and how people that want to perform or be on stage can get rid of it.
1: So stage fright is a very real thing. And particularly right now with, with the work that I do, a lot of people come to me to try and get over the fear of public speaking. And the reality is that is not a thing. The fear that nobody is actually afraid to speak in public if they did, commerce would collapse. So uh, what people are actually afraid of is public judgment. And, you know, in this theater, it's a little bit easier because the, you know, you're saying somebody else's words, and usually the judgment that you're worried about is if you forget, right, I forget what I'm supposed to say, or I don't know my lines, or if it's a musical, I sing off key or whatever. Those are those usually the judgments that you're worried about. And when it comes to public speaking, it grows a little bit more because a lot of people feel that either their story doesn't matter or what they have to say isn't important or somebody else knows something more than them or somebody else presents at a higher level than them. And there's a lot of judgment and comparison. And a lot of it is is self-inflicted. And so the fastest way to get over stage fright is, first of all, just to breathe. Like a lot of times, just a couple of simple breaths will calm you and center you, but it doesn't it addresses the physiological responses to stage fright that doesn't address the root cause of stage fright. And the root cause of stage fright is that public judgment. So if you've been given the opportunity to be on stage, first of all, you're, you're very lucky because there are a lot of people who want to be who don't get that opportunity or who have limited opportunities. So you got there for a reason. You were the authority in your space. You were the talent at the time that, that was the right fit for, for whatever you were doing, whether it's putting up a play or whether it's presenting a keynote presentation or if it's just presenting in the boardroom. You were the person who knew the most at the time to be able to do the thing that needed to be done. So you are the authority. The audience is on your side. Nobody ever goes to a movie or a play or a presentation even if they're voluntold, right? It's a work function and you have to go and see Q3 sales statistics presented in the boardroom. Uh, at best, your audience, at worst, your audience is passively indifferent, right? They, they want you to succeed because nobody wants to feel that their time is wasted. Even I, I think of going to a movie and you, know, you hear the Rotten Tomatoes score and it's like a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes and all your friends are like, oh, that was a horrible movie. And yet you still go and you're like, well, it couldn't be as bad as they say. And then you form your own judgment after you're like, Oh, uh, I guess that was brutal, but you went in wanting it to be good. And that's, that's where most audiences come to any form of presentation. Your audience right now came and, and, and we're hoping that you and I had a conversation that served them. They didn't tune in to living the dream with curveball and go, man, I hope this episode sucks. Right. They wanted to be served and uh, they want to. You want value out of anything that you go to because there's a value exchange there. You're giving your time, so you need to get something for that time. And so if you want to get over this stage fright and, and the sphere of public judgment, the first thing is to recognize you are the authority or you wouldn't have been granted the time on the stage. The audience is on your side. They want you to succeed. And if you can take that, you have the power. Now all you have to do is deliver. So a lot of it comes down to mindset. Instead of playing the what if on a negative side, what if I forget my lines? What if I freeze up? What if I say the wrong thing? What if they don't like what I have to say? What about somebody else who says it better? And all those what ifs that don't serve you, start using the what ifs that do serve you. What if what I have to say changes somebody's life today? What if what I have to say has impact on somebody or changes somebody's mind or shows them a different way of thinking or shows them a different way to look at something. And then if you can focus on your audience, it's really hard to focus on you. Usually when we're experiencing stage fright, it's very ego driven. What if I don't do this? How am I perceived? I, 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 I. And if you can take the focus off of you and put the focus on your audience, how can I be of service to them? What can I do to be better for them? How can I serve them? It's really hard to be nervous about what you're doing if your entire focus and your energy is focused on your audience. And that's one of the fastest ways to get over stage fright. And then again, that breath work. One of the other things is to prepare properly for any presentation. And I have found in my 36 years on stage that the majority of people spend most of their time preparing for presentations and talks in areas that don't serve them. And by that, I mean, most people, if I told you, you have to give a presentation in a month, you're going to spend three to four weeks memorizing a script. And that doesn't do you any good whatsoever. Your audience doesn't want a scripted presentation. They feel false. You and I are having an unscripted conversation right now. It's very natural and it's probably more engaging than if we were just to sit and you were to ask scripted questions and I was to give canned responses. People would feel the inauthenticity of it. They would understand that. um, They just wouldn't feel genuine. And We have this innate BS meter. So what I usually have people do is practice your talk, but practice the bullet points. What are the stories that you want to tell to support this, right? Stats tell, but stories sell. Les Brown says it famously. You never make a point without a story, never tell a story without a point. So what are the points that you need to get across to your audience? What are the stories that support them and use your own stories? Because nobody knows your story better than you and you can recall it on an instant. You don't need to write it out in a script. And then what you need to, what you do need to memorize is the flow. What are the beats? What are the points within this presentation that I must land? what are the ones that I would like to land? And what are the ones that I can land if I have the time but can be scrapped? Because remember, nobody knows what you're going to say, they have no idea what's going to come out of your mouth until it comes out of your mouth. So even if there's a thing that you want to, to talk about, and you forget, they have no idea if it, that you wanted to do that. And where a lot of people make the next mistake is getting locked into a PowerPoint presentation or a slide, you know, and then worse, when they're using the bullet points to prompt them, And they're just saying the bullet points, like we've all seen that presentation and know how awful it is. PowerPoint is, is really not your best friend. Your, your PowerPoint can be your worst enemy as a presenter and a speaker because it locks you into this thing. And when I, if I ever use any kind of graphic slide, I usually have a slide deck that's prepped and I have uh, a technician at the back who can pull up slides on command. And I can be like, can we put up the graphic of this? Or they just know my talk and they can put up the graphic to support Because I may need to bounce around or or the point that I need won't serve my audience at that time. Better yet, and one of the reasons why my book is called The Power to Speak Naked, just lose the PowerPoint altogether. Have confidence in yourself that your messaging and your story and your delivery is powerful enough that you don't need the gimmicks. You can give a raw naked presentation in that you don't need AV, you don't need a PowerPoint, you don't need props, you don't need things You just need you and your story and your conviction and your knowledge to be able to help impact your audience. And when you can combine all of those things, confidence in yourself, uh, confidence in your messaging, proper rehearsal and technique so you feel prepared that you can do this thing, you have the proper mindset knowing that the audience is on your side and that you are the authority and then you do a really good pre-talk prep and routine that includes some breathing and some centering and some focusing work, all of a sudden there is no room or time for stage fright. And you can just go in and hit your mark and, and deliver to your audience in a really powerful way.
0: Speaking of your book, tell us about your book and tell us what listeners can expect if they read it.
1: Well, uh, first of all, any listener who would like to read it and would like to have a free copy, I would invite them to come over to endless stages.com. And on that landing page, if you sign up for the endless stages, Facebook group through endless stages.com, one of the free gifts that we give all of your listeners and anybody who goes to Endless Stages is a free download PDF of the of the Power to Speak Naked, uh, along with my Drop the Mic training program, online virtual training program, and a free 20-minute one-on-one conversation with me, as well as live 20-minute uh, trainings every Tuesday at noon pacific three eastern inside of endless stages so if they ever if they want to pick up the book and they want to get it free that's the quick and fast way to do it but only for listeners of living the dream with curveball who decide to hit pause right now and give you a five-star review does that sound fair curtis if they give you a five-star review then they can come and hang out with me in endless stages and we'll be happy to to have them in our group and But what they can expect from the book, to your question, is uh, really easy to digest, simple techniques to tell better, more compelling stories, to really be more confident on stage, to be able to communicate effectively with anybody, and learn some inside secrets from 35-year stage veteran on how to have better stage presence how to give a very compelling presentation day in, day out. A lot of the people who have read it like it because it's, it's very simple and easy to read. I'll let you in on a secret. I actually didn't write my book. I spoke my book as a speaker. I felt that was the easiest way to do it. And so I used dictation software and we took a lot of my training videos and transcribed them and compiled them into the book. So it's, it's a very easy read because if you can hear my words right now, how I speak and how I deliver is what you get out of the book because it is my words just transcribed. So it's a very, very easy read, simple one, 10 chapters, 135 pages, very easy to get through and, and very simple and easy to implement strategies too. Like I'm not asking people to do hard things. I'm asking them to do very simple things, breath work, visualization, looking for opportunities. I show them where they can find a lot of people are, are speaking in public on a regular basis and don't even realize that they're doing it. So finding confidence in that. One of the things that we talk about in the book is gaining uh, confidence through competence and competence has a legal definition, adequately qualified, suitably trained with sufficient experience to perform the task with minimal or no supervision and showing people how they are competent, that they are qualified, just getting having their own story qualifies them living and breathing. It it qualifies them to be on stage to tell their story and then getting the training. That's simple. Read my book. Now, there you go. Now you're trained or go join Toastmasters or talk to Adam Markell or the, uh, you know, Carnegie Institute or any of these places that are, are more than happy to train you on 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 public speaking come hang out with us in endless stages you know it's free and that'll give you the training but it's that experience side that's hard so showing people where they can get experience public speaking so that they can do it regularly so that they can feel more competent and therefore more confident in taking the stage regularly so uh, for all of these reasons you know the book is is really easy to pick up and easy to read and, and i've gotten some really good feedback you know if, if the amazon reviews are to be believed people are enjoying the book regularly
0: so endless stages.com is that's where all your social media links are
1: yeah endless stages and and if it's uh you know if they want to know more about just me com. but endless stages will get you right into the the Fastest way to get to our Endless Stages Facebook group is through EndlessStages.com. And that's where you get all the freebies. If you come through Facebook or if you come through some of the other uh, back way routes uh, into or routes, I suppose, into the uh, into the Facebook group, you don't get the freebies. So I always encourage everybody to come to EndlessStages.com.
0: Right. Got just a few minutes left, but I want you to close us out with some final thoughts. Hit us with anything that you want to talk about, maybe something that I left out that you want to touch on, you know, hit, hit us. And about the last uh, five minutes we got left, give us some final thoughts.
1: Well, I, I think you did a wonderful job of, of guiding us through this conversation and covering everything that needs to be covered. But the one thing that I will leave your audience with, and it's the thing that I speak about in all of my training seminars, I touch on it in the book, and I, and I definitely mention it on just about every training that I do in endless stages. And that is the thing that you're afraid to say is very likely what your audience needs to hear. And if you'll indulge me, I'm going to tell a very quick story to to highlight and, and emphasize this. I had the privilege of speaking at a conference called Life by Design about five years ago. And I had the further privilege of speaking with one of my really, really, really good friends, Jared. And he gives a phenomenal talk called the 10 minute time machine. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to give a very, very quick reader's digest summary of it. And it does not do this talk justice. It is a very powerful 45 minute presentation, but in this presentation, and you, you have to understand that my friend is a life insurance salesman and really is, you know, has some time to not discuss. The thing that he talks about in this presentation and that is the for a decade he spent his most of his dedicated most of his life to making sure that he no longer needed to live on this earth in a way that looked accidental enough that his children would get paid out their his life insurance policy um, because he felt that they were better off in this world with him not in it and he talks about in the ten minute time machine the time that he He spent, like I said, a decade trying to find the right combination of alcohol and pills that would allow him to end his life in this accidental way, or at least seemingly accidental way. And in the 10-minute time machine, he talks about the time that he got it right. And unfortunately, the day that he did figure out this magic combination was the one day in almost five years that he had his children at his house overnight. And it was just through circumstances, and because he'd become... Accustomed and attuned to this routine, he had the children. He'd fake sobriety long enough that his ex-wife, who just needed a break for a day with her new husband, had trusted him enough to take the children overnight. And he put them to bed, and then he'd gone to bed himself, and then woke up on his automatic routine that started usually around eleven o'clock at night, getting a slurpee, getting a uh, a rice krispie square, and then starting to take these pills and alcohol in combination, and. He, he got it right this one day and his son, just, just as he was literally starting to see the light fade, it wasn't bright. It was fading. It was turning to black. He could see his son and says, daddy is everything. Okay. It's the last thing he remembers. And then he had this out of body experience where he remembers floating in the room and, and everything in his being literally in his soul screaming that this can't be it. It can't be, this can't be the time that you get it right. You, you've got, you've got to fix this. It's got to be, this can't be it. And he managed to just mumble help. And his son phoned 911 Uh, by the time EMS got to his house and it was a very quick response because he was very close to the, to the station. Uh, He was, he was legally dead. They pronounced him legally dead in the ambulance. They managed to resuscitate him, shock his heart, get it back working, got him to emergency. They pumped his stomach and, and he ended up surviving this. And when he talks about the 10 minute time machine, he says, if I could go back in time and change anything in that scenario would I? And his answer is no. He wouldn't because he needed to have that moment happen so that he realized that he needed to live for his children, that his children were not better off with him not there, that, that his children still needed him there and that he just needed to become better. That it wasn't that they didn't need the version of him prior to the incident. What they needed was the version that came out of that incident. And he tells this story and you, you're crying you're laughing. He is, he is a gifted, gifted presenter. He is an amazing public speaker and just an amazing human being in general. And in telling this story, it has real impact. So he tells this, he gives this presentation at Life by Design. And in the audience is a woman by the name of, of Charlene, who was gifted a ticket to the conference. It was a weekend kind of self-development presentation. And she got it from a friend and decided to go to be polite knowing that on Monday morning, she had a spot on a hill in the mountains that overlooked her favorite lake and she had just purchased a rifle and she was going to go and sit in her beautiful spot that she had picked out and to cease her existence on this earth because she felt that the world would be better off without her in it. And hearing the 10 minute time machine and hearing what Jared had to say touched her. And you got to understand, this is a hard thing for Jared to talk about. It's really hard for a life life insurance salesman to talk about the time he tried to kill himself so that life insurance, that's a, it's a real hard topic for him to discuss. It's not one that he really talks about very often, but Charlene needed to hear it. There was probably 150 people at this conference. One person needed to hear that message. Jared's message touched one person that day. So she decided to get help and you know, told a friend said, take this rifle, I need I need to to work on me. Fast forward a year later, Charlene reached out to the promoter of Life by Design and said, this happened at your event. And I'd like to talk about it. Can you give me time to, to speak about this? Now, Charlene's never been a public speaker ever in her entire life. And she had found the bravery to go up on stage and tell this story about how she had this moment that impacted her at Life by Design, and that she needed people to know that there was help that 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 no matter how dark the thoughts, that there is, there is another side to this that needs to be explored. Well, in that room, there were three people who were at various stages of planning their own demise. And they all reached out to Charlene and said, can you help me? So Jared having bravery to tell his story literally saved a life. And Charlene then having the courage and the bravery to tell her story ended up saving three. There's a ripple effect that goes through that. You never know who needs to hear your message, but you are not serving the world. If you keep it coveted in your heart, you don't know who needs to hear what you have to say. So the thing that you're afraid to say is very likely what your audience needs to hear. And I would encourage every one of your listeners to dig deep into their soul, know what that thing is, and then find the bravery and the courage to talk about it with
0: whoever needs to hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, endless stages.com, Sean Tyler Foley.com please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to whoever needs to hear it. And Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Sean, thank you so much for joining us tonight and for the amazing interview.
1: Oh, Curtis, it was my joy and my pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to be on Living the Dream with Curveball. I uh, I really did appreciate the the entire conversation that we were able to have.